All right. Welcome, everyone. This is Nikki Acosta, Cloud Evangelist at Cisco, and we've got an awesome guest for Cloud Unfiltered today. Uh, one of our own, Kip Compton. Do you want to introduce yourself, Kip? Yeah, I'm Kip Compton. I'm in the Cloud Platform and Services Group uh, at Cisco. So Kip is like, you know, my boss's boss's boss, so I can't mess this up. We won't mess this up. We're going to have a good time. So we typically like to start these things, Kip, by asking you how you got into tech. And you know, it was an interesting stat just about how long you've been at Cisco that I won't bring up, but it's been a really long time. Uh, and so take us before that. Like, what were you like as a kid? How did you launch on this cloud journey? I saw on your LinkedIn you went to MIT, which is wicked cool. Uh, but tell us about that journey. Sure, no, I was interested in technology from an early age. I was very fortunate. My mother was a computer programmer. Um, and that was extremely unusual uh, it, when I was young. Uh, you know, we're talking about in the 70s. Um, she was a computer programmer for the US Army. And um, then she had kids, and she became a teacher. And I, one of my first uh, sort of memories of tech was my mom and, and the rest of the family go into um, Radio Shack to buy a computer, and we bought a TRS-80 Model 3, um, and what were called lap manuals, because they sat on your lap when you were trying to learn how to program. And we hauled it all home, and my mom started programming the computer to be her grade book, because she was teaching, and she thought it was crazy that she was filling in these grade, each student's grade and each time in this book, and then averaging them and producing report cards. So she sat there and, and over a summer wrote her own electronic gradebook software in TRS-80 Basic. Um, and um, I remember everything was great. The parents, though, complained about the um, report cards because they were she, she actually printed directly onto the report cards. And my mom's approach to that problem was to get rid of the dot matrix printer and get what's called a daisy wheel printer. I'm, daisy, I'm dating myself here which operated like a typewriter. So the output looked like a typewriter and not a computer printer. <laughs> and so everyone thought it was amazing that she was typing the report cards. Um, and as I watched her learning how to program, I think I, I thought to my eight or nine-year-old self, that looks really interesting. Um, and so I started taking the same lap manuals and learning basic and, and writing software. Um, when I was in high school, I went to a, a high school that was unusual. It was a magnet school, which meant it, draws, it drew students from a wide area. So our friends weren't in our neighborhoods. They were far away. And it, in fact, back then, there was this thing called long distance, which it's hard to remember at this point. But it cost money to call our friends because they were like several towns over. So like here we are in high school, and we can't call each other. Um, so I set up a, a bulletin board system, uh, like a BBS, this is pre-internet, and got a um, special, I think it was called a Metro line. It was a special phone number that was local to a wider area of, of prefixes. And so uh, all the people in my high school could dial into this thing for free and we couldn't talk to each other on the phone, but at least we could send each other messages. Um, so I got, got interested in networking uh, and computers very early on. That's wild. I can't imagine. Well, I can because I, I think I got into tech by telnet chatting back in the day, back when we had pagers. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah. And so I learned a lot. I actually learned how to type, I think, because of that. You know, there was no text messaging, you know, like there is today. It's kind of weird to see my kid now, you know, hanging out with friends doing Minecraft. You know, I mean, yeah. he's he, he doesn't even use the phone. <laughs> he's well, already. I, I think I may have been lucky in that I came along late enough that there were computers that you could have at home. Because like five years before the TRS-80, there wasn't anything. But frankly, early enough, I mean, my kids play with iPads and, and they're not interested in learning how to program in basic. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're hanging out with their friends in Minecraft. So there weren't that many very good games on the TRS-80. It was pretty early. If you wanted them, you had to write your own, right? So I think I came along in terms of learning computers and computer science, I came along at the perfect time, I think. So then you went to you went to MIT, which is way cool. What was that like? It was amazing. I mean, you you um, you know things about MIT. I mean, it is a difficult school, um, but it's pretty energizing. You're surrounded by a lot of really smart people, and one of the great things about that environment that I remember is um, people. Uh, just a second. The joys of live podcasting, folks. Yeah. No, I'm not. No, I don't. I'm sorry, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> My um, secretary told me that something happened. Secretary? Yeah. And I'm, by the way, I'm I'm live right now. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, but let me see. If, you know. Um, Nikki, I'm gonna. We we've had a accident here. I'm gonna have to go take care of some things. Maybe okay. I'll be back in like five or ten minutes, and we can um, try to restart. I apologize. Yep, no problem. So I'm gonna wait because if I stop this thing, we're gonna have to regenerate a bunch of links. But we've got some cool guests coming up. Let's see. We've got uh, we've got Dave Lively, been at Cisco for a long time, really smart guy, super involved in the OpenStack uh, stuff. We've got Heidi Joe Trethway from the OpenStack Foundation. We've got uh, one of the OG Clouderati folks, Reuben Cohen, who I'm really excited to talk to because I haven't seen him or talked to him in forever. And then at the end of the month, we have Jeff Dickey, who was uh, previously a co-host on a podcast I used to host. So, And look, he's back. Yay. I apologize. Unfortunately, we had a, an accident with an employee, and I needed to uh, speak with the EM EMTs who are here. Okay. So do you need to go, or are you good? No. They are much uh, better equipped to handle the situation than I am. <laughs> Okay. I just want to make sure that they had all the information that uh, they needed. No problem. I, I just went over future guests while you were gone, so that actually worked out well. So, uh, Kip, let's let's jump right into it. We talked about you know time at MIT. You've been at Cisco for a while, and you've held a bunch of different roles at Cisco. You've done the video stuff. Uh, you've sort of GM as various businesses. Uh, what what is it about you that uh, that causes you to go and lead completely different groups at Cisco? Um, well, I don't, I mean, good question. I enjoy learning. Um, 
a lot. I enjoy the intellectual challenge of, and, and, and find it very satisfying to learn new businesses and new technologies. And um, I, I actually sort of seek that out. In other words, I, I think that not only do I enjoy it, but I, one of my philosophies about career is learning is an excellent leading indicator of future success. Because if you're learning uh, a lot now, then you're going to be able to do more in the future. And if you do more in the future, that's probably ultimately going to manifest itself in, in uh, giving you more options for your career. Um, so I seek out opportunities to learn. And, and I've just been fortunate. I mean, there are lots of good things about working at um, uh, small companies. And, and there are also some good things about working at large companies like Cisco. And one of them is the opportunity to move around and, and, and work on different things. And I've, I've been fortunate enough to be able to take advantage of that. And so you've been in this cloud role now, leading the, the cloud and uh, managed services platform group now since May. What has well, changed since then? Well, I mean, I, I'll, I'll speak to what I've seen with customers in the market. Um, you know, since May, uh, we certainly made a lot of changes internally, but I think that the market's more interesting. Um, you know, when I first came in and you're talking to customers about cloud, they viewed cloud as a uh, almost oil-like commodity. Um, and what, what do I mean by that? I mean, the, the discussions revolved around how much money they were going to save by going to the cloud. And there are lots of discussions about like being able to move workloads between clouds. And there's some people even talking about like spot prices, like, oh, you know, if Google gives me, you know, a dollar less an hour of, you know, whatever, I'm going to move my workload there and take advantage of the lower price. And the next week, if you know, people were, were totally focused on cost savings and they viewed the public cloud providers as commodities. Um, if you fast forward to now, I mean, it's certainly been a change that's taken over time, but now very consistently, um, customers I talk to, you know, enterprise or SP, view things a lot differently. Um, and I think it's a little bit of a maturation, which is to say that they, they recognize that different clouds are good for different things. So they, they, the, the focus is less on how do I make workloads portable and how do I position myself to catch like blue light specials, if you will, uh, in IS pricing, and much more about, well, how do I take advantage of the incredible innovation that's happening in these platforms? And how do I use this to transform my business? How do I use this to beat my competitors and win more customers? And well, of course, I mean, I want to get the best deal I can, you know, it, it, kind of thing. And, and so it's really flipped um, pretty significantly. And, and I think you see that not only in the, in the customer dialogues, but in the way the web scale public cloud providers present themselves. I, I thought it was me at the AWS reInvent uh, conference late last year that the top the, the top conversation kind of shifted from how many price cuts have been given in the last year to how many new features have been launched. Um, and I think AWS talked about launching a thousand new named features last year and showed everyone, all of us a graph, not only showing a thousand new features, but showing how much they were accelerating and essentially saying that they were going to do many more in 2017. And I think that, that, that people are starting to recognize that these platforms are not just platforms of efficiency or cost saving, but are platforms of innovation. 
and that harnessing that innovation is key to their company's ability to deliver you know, compelling um, experiences to their customers um, and really to, to their uh, success and you know, kind of as cliche, but in the digital world and in this, in this more modern world that almost every industry um, is transitioning into, um, th these platforms are absolutely key and, and not just from a cost savings perspective. It's interesting you bring that up. You know, I, I spent some time uh, pretty publicly as a cloud evangelist at Rackspace and then, you know, worked at MetaCloud. And it, it seemed then that that people just knew that, you know, cloud was there and it existed and it was, you know, fast and easy and they were going to use it. And then, you know, they then as I moved to Cisco, I, I realized that you know, the, the customer base at Cisco is very, very different. You know, these are not, you know, small agile companies that don't have any technical debt or existing technology implementation. So it's very easy for them to kind of just go to the cloud and start using it. But what I started to realize, and I, didn't, I don't think I really, I think I knew it, but I didn't realize the magnitude of it, was that these enterprise customers and these service providers and these very sort of large technology users we're not just going to scrap everything and go to the cloud. Yeah. And that has created a ton of complexity mm -hmm. for a lot of those customers, which I think dovetails well into our, our current strategy. I think the the hot term was, you know, hybrid cloud, uh, but you call it hybrid IT. And tell tell us why that is a more apt description. Well, I can't customers. take credit for hybrid IT. That's Gartner's uh, term. But I agree with them. And I think the, the point, um, with hybrid IT is is that this is a bigger transition. Like when people talk about cloud, a lot of people are like, oh, well, where's the, it's about where the workloads are running. So hybrid cloud is like, oh, I'll have some workloads in my data center and so I'll have some workloads in Amazon or, or Azure or wherever. And, and that's kind of, I mean, it, it's a little bit limiting to some degree. Um, and I think what Gardner said, and I think it, it resonates very well with me is actually, you know, if you think about it, we're moving to a hybrid IT world. I mean, even the customer who moves all of their workloads to Amazon, which I mean, you can find a lot, you know, different customers are at very different places and are taking different journeys. So you, you can go find CIOs that are saying, I'm gonna move everything to Amazon. And even then they'll have hybrid IT, because you know what, they're still gonna have, uh, they still have like a place of business, right? Their, their employees are not inside the Amazon data center. So they have networks and they have phones and telepresence endpoints and devices like, you know, Macs and PCs. on-prem as well. It just broadens the conversation and the thought process from just the data center kind of topic to realizing, look, no CIO that I'm aware of like delivers anything or solves a business problem with a data center alone. I, a data center is part of an overall IT architecture, part of an overall IT system that together enables and, and ultimately delivers business results. And so I think hybrid IT is, a, is, in, is an interesting framing. Um, you know, to tag on to your point about the breadth of Cisco's customer base, I mean, we're, we're that's one of the really interesting things about Cisco. We, we, our uh, earnings, uh, I've been told, um, correlate very highly with GDP. And in fact, I, I think people have done analysis of, you know, earnings versus GDP and, and highest correlations of all of the tech, large tech companies. And a reflection of the fact that, you know, 
the types of industry much across the entire country. There's a full spectrum of small to large companies. And what you see, and in fact, we did a study with IDC that, to look at like, well, where are these customers on their cloud journeys? And, and essentially, what is their level of cloud maturity, if you will? You know, how mature are their governance processes? How sophisticated is their thought process about where they're putting workloads? How, you know, how are they thinking about resiliency? Um, essentially, how mature are they in their adoption of cloud technologies? And that was an interesting study. We, we developed sort of five categories of maturity, if you will. And it was in all field of velocity in this market. And I mean, it's cloud industry. I think every day you feel like you're late. You know, it, it's, uh, you know there's so much happening. Um, we're actually still really early in this transition when you look at the broad market. Um, in fact, only 3% of the enterprises that IDC surveyed as part of this, this study were in that fifth or most mature category. So 97% are still have some ways to go. Um, and in fact, about half of the enterprises surveyed were in the bottom two categories. So, and, and this is reflected. I mean, I, I talked to a lot of customers in EBCs and, you know, almost universally, they're looking um, to Cisco to, to help them with that journey, right? And, and you know, um, per, per, perhaps in part because we're not a web scale public cloud provider, um, they look to us for as kind of a trusted advisor. And, and, and we, we, in many cases, understand their business. We have significant relationships with them. Um, how do we take advantage of this? I mean, what, what should we run in AWS? And what, what, should we, what should we maybe do on-prem? You know, if we simplify our own data center, um, which in many cases is a Cisco data center solution that they have. Um, and it, it's just a very interesting environment for Cisco right now. So we we're talking specifically about customers. Uh, you had mentioned uh, a particular conversation that you had with a with a customer early on. When you're talking to these customers, it seems like they're in. And I'm sorry, my dogs are barking because UPS just dropped off a package. Uh, it seems like when you're talking to these these customers, they're all kind of in different places. Like, how do you how do you get them from from A to D? Like, what is your what is your conversation strategy when you go in and you I don't think some of these customers even know what their clutch yeah. picture looks like as a whole. So yeah. what, are, what are they thinking about? Like what's top of mind? What, what are the things that I they mean, want to ask? It's, it's a, in general, I'd say, look, it's a consultative sale process. I mean, and, and, and I think personally, I, I mean, there are different sales philosophies, but I think any really successful sales strategy starts with understanding the customer and this is no different. So it's, you know, every customer's, you know, there are different journeys and different concerns. So you really got to get to understand the customer's business and what is it that they're trying to achieve um, with their cloud strategy. And, and you know, but, but I can share some general trends, if you will, you know, of, of what we've seen. I, I, I don't want to portray this as one size fits all, but there are some macro trends. And again, what we're seeing is customers saying, okay, wait a second, I'm going to take advantage of different environments. Um, you know, I had a customer I was talking to the other day, pretty sophisticated customer, and they're like, well, we're using AWS for Lambda, because that's phenomenal. Um, that's their serverless or event-based computing framework. Um, they're like, we're doing some cognitive stuff with IBM in their cloud. And we're starting to play with TensorFlow in the Google cloud. Um, and, and that's cool. And, and what they were looking for, and what we see increasingly, is they're like, look, I'm gonna, it is a multi-cloud world. I'm going to take advantage of multiple clouds. 
But there's some things that I really want to have the same across these clouds, right? And because you know, I don't want to have a different way, for instance, of thinking about networking. You know, uh, I don't want to manage my connection to my private VPC at Amazon differently than the way I manage it at IBM or Google in that example. I want some sort of unified way of managing that that ideally plugs into how I manage connectivity across my enterprise. You know, how do I, I already manage connectivity between the sites in my enterprise? Why isn't my VPC at Amazon just like another one of my sites as far as my network's concerned? Because if I can do that, I've already got the tools and the policy and the training and everything in place, and, and that's what I want to do. So networking is, is a key thing. Security is not surprisingly another thing. They're like, you don't really want lots of seams in your security architecture. Uh, that, that's not, a, <laughs> that usually doesn't work out well. So you know, they, they're like, how do I secure workloads and how do I secure data across these different environments, and is there a common framework that I can use? You know, another area actually we, that they express, and we've been having a lot of conversations around um, AppDynamics uh, now that they're a part of Cisco, is, is application performance analytics. You know, they, they move workloads out to the cloud. They absolutely want to understand how those workloads are performing, what kind of experience uh, are their employees getting from those web applications, what are the trends? Is it getting worse? Is it staying the same? Is everything okay? And they really don't want to have a totally different way of measuring that and looking at that that's like dependent on where the workload's running. It, that just seems completely arbitrary and it's inconsistent. They want a common way of doing that. Um, and so analytics is another area where they want um, uh, commonality. And then management. There's a lot of interest in, uh, for example, our Cloud Center product, uh, which came from our Clicker acquisition, because they're like, look, um, I want a common way of modeling an application, and I want a common way of projecting costs. And um, I don't want to do that a whole bunch of different ways and then try to figure out how to normalize and add it up and compare and, and all of this. I want a framework for doing that. So in short, a lot of customers are saying, OK, it's going to be a multi-cloud world. I'm, not, I'm going to have some stuff in my own private cloud on-prem. I'm going to have some stuff probably at multiple public cloud providers. Um, how do I make sense of that? Because that's not the. You know, I think you said earlier, customers are like, oh yeah, cloud's gonna make everything easy. I'm gonna move everything to AWS or wherever, and they're gonna take care of it, and everything's wonderful. Um, that's not the reality that, that most enterprises are experiencing. And, and service providers either. I mean, I, I uh, another sort of eye-opening thing for me when I came to Cisco was just the, the complexity and how we serve service providers. I mean, you're talking about, you know, video and you're talking about you know pretty much anything anyone does the Netflixes yeah. of the world that are streaming like all that has to be powered uh, on a network which you know networking frankly is like probably my 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 weak spot I just hear acronyms <laughs> left right up and down I'm like okay you know there's another three letter acronym you know VPP VMS you know all of these other technologies and it seems like some of those technologies are really oriented towards sort of the network administrators or network teams which which is interesting because I I still see that that uh, Cisco can help customers in different ways. One way is to look at it from the bottom up, from the network up, and now increasingly it's from the app down, either via SaaS or you know uh, through our Cloud Center uh, integration uh, or Clicker integration with Cloud Center. Uh, now with App Dynamics, trying to get you know all the analytics that are coming in, like. 
when you're talking to a, a CIO, do you think that they have a full sort of uh, idea of where these things are converging or are teams still siloed in a lot of ways and, and kind of just doing their own thing? Yeah, so actually a couple things in there. I mean, on the SP side, um, the SP business, I mean, I spent a, a number of the businesses I've run and time I've spent at Cisco has been on the SP side. And I mean, it's, it's a really um, interesting business uh, if you think about it, you know, with enterprise, if the network goes down, it's very detrimental to the business. Um, most businesses today can't really operate without their network. But when you're working with these service providers, you know, the network goes down like cities stop working. And, you know, you're, you're talking about powering some of those critical infrastructure in our society at this point. And so, the, the business we have there and the relationships we have with uh, customers and the criticality of what we do there is, is just kind of inspiring to me. Um, it's, it's, it's quite. Mark into more of a software defined world. Yet they continue to have the resiliency and the robustness uh, that they require but we can bring them a whole new level of agility and flexibility with network function virtualization. So they can set up and tear down networks um, much more quickly and um, be, be uh, uh, much more responsive to their customers' needs. So that, that's a tremendous opportunity for us and in, 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 you know, we apply our cloud technologies there um, every day. Um, you know, so with the CIOs, I mean, Every customer is a different place in the journey, and it's going on a different journey. So it's, it's hard for me to say kind of where they're at. What I will tell you is at Cisco, we've not always done a great job of helping our customers understand all the ways we can help them. Um, and I think for a lot of Cisco folks, it's kind of like um, when I say cloud, you say data center. <laughs> okay, like, and it's all about the workload, it's all about the data center, and it's all about building private clouds, and yeah, for good reason. I mean, we, we have an amazing data center business. We've got incredible innovations, things like ACI and Tetration and Cloud Center and, and you know, Hyperflex. Um, but, you know, there's just so much more we can do. And that's one of the things I've been spending a lot of time with, um, you know, not just customers, but, but folks inside Cisco and in our marketing groups, starting to help people realize that how we help our customers with cloud and how we show up on cloud in general is, is certainly about our cloud products. And, and that's, a, that's certainly an anchor point, but it's also about really the rest of our portfolio because in fact, our business is changing and becoming like part of cloud. You know, one of my favorite examples is we have an offer in our collaboration portfolio uh, called Spark Call. Um, and it's an incredibly advanced cloud-based SaaS offer um, for unified communications and collaboration. Um, and, and one of the things it does is, you know, if, if you use Spark Call, your IP phones don't register with a Cisco unified call manager on your, inside your enterprise. They actually register directly with the cloud. And there's all kinds of benefits to that. Well, you know what? I mean, I was talking to the CIO of a large um, uh, consumer manufacturer, um, and he's looking to move things to the cloud. And Spark Call is actually part of that conversation in that context. Um, and he's not excited about it because of the advanced collaboration features necessarily. 
but it's a way for him to move his call managers to the cloud, right? And not have his staff updating and patching call managers, which he doesn't view as really central to delivering an amazing brand experience to his customers. Um, so, you know, I think we've not always connected the breadth of our portfolio at Cisco to the cloud conversation with those CIOs. And we haven't always brought everything that we can to help them move to the cloud. And that's something, you know, we're starting to shift. I mean, you saw Chuck talk about it at Partner Summit last fall, um, you know, really incorporating a lot of our SaaS offers and our security portfolio, some aspects of our networking portfolio and aspects of our services, you know, professional services around cloud, given the help that a lot of customers are looking for is a huge uh, area for us. We're really bringing that all together with our sort of cloud solutions, if you will. You know, the, the tremendous things we have with things like MetaCloud and UCS and the entire data center portfolio, um, but really bringing that full, more fuller spectrum of capabilities from Cisco into this cloud conversation it's something that we're getting better at. And, and frankly, um, you know, not, we haven't always done as effectively in the past as we'd like. So in terms of, of making those shifts, you know, it seems like, you know, I haven't been alive that long, but there's certainly been a number of technology shifts. And it, it seems like this one is potentially a little bit different just because of, of the sort of, uh, of the way of thinking it is a very, very different way of thinking. And, and one of the topics that I followed for a long time is, is culture. And I know this is a topic near and dear to your heart. Uh, you know, you've got regular uh, all hands meetings, you've got, you know, different ways now for us to collaborate and, and provide, you know, feedback and ideas. But how do you get a, a large company to make the cultural shift necessary to embrace these two new technologies and to get the full advantage out of them? That's a great, great question. I mean, and, and it's something, you know, a lot of times we end up having a conversation. Um, you know, we talk about technology, but to get the full benefit of this transition, um, people have to change the way they work and change the way they think. And as amazing as all of the technical innovations are that we do at, at Cisco, that cultural change is the harder part for most of our customers. Um, and that's something where, you know, we start offering some advisory services from our professional services group here at Cisco. We also have partners who can help where we start to look at the change management around what has to happen in the company. Not just what has to happen to the data center or the software systems or the network or whatever, but what kinds of changes does the company need to think about in terms of the culture, how they work, even into some things like org structure or, or skill sets to take advantage of this. Because, you know, phase zero, if you will, as well, we can like push some workloads into the cloud and they'll run the same way in the cloud as they did here. And maybe we freed up some staff instead of, you know, focusing on keeping servers running, they can do something that's more core to our business. It's almost like a core context discussion. You know, like, oh, we, we can like outsource, our, essentially outsource our data center operations. This is great because you know we have people who are doing something that's important but not differentiating us as a company. So that's kind of phase zero. But you, you know, I mean, you're not doing CI/CD. You're not getting. You're not doing A/B testing and getting the kinds of feedback. You're not achieving the kinds of agility 
or the, the ease of integration, you know, or code reuse with microservices, you're, you're just kind of doing what you did before, but you know, you could shift some more people to work on something that's core. And to get beyond that is what is, it requires a cultural change. Um, and it's a big deal. And you know what? Cisco is changing its culture too. You know, it's, it's not, you know, I don't think Cisco has everything figured out, but some of the richer conversations with customers are actually, you know, sharing back and forth the challenges um, that each of us have about the cultural changes we're, that are happening inside our own companies. Um, and it's just absolutely key. We, we spend all our time talking about the uh, technology, which, which is necessary and, and it's amazing stuff. But um, I think that the people who get the most out of this transition will be the ones who master um, the culture side. And so if I'm a, let's say a network admin, uh, and, I'm, and I'm starting to see you know all these automated things happen, and maybe I'm not you know necessarily logging into a, a box or I'm provisioning something. I have to go to the cloud to provision you know a firewall or something. Like, what advice would you give me to to help me grapple with this idea that oh my gosh, I'm going to be automated out of a job? Well, check out DevNet. I mean, there's two two things for sure. I mean, um, you know, our certifications group, you know, learning at Cisco. Um, the people who run the CCIE program, all kinds of new certifications and bringing in all kinds of new programmability and cloud stuff into that forum. And then DevNet, um, they've just got tremendous uh, materials and activities and, and I know a lot more is coming from that team uh, on that. And we're finding like with our own, you know, SE teams at Cisco, the energy and excitement about moving to this more programmatic, automated, virtual networking framework um, you know, it is for the technologists, it's, it's, uh, it's like a, a kid in a candy store. It's, it's amazing what you can do. And, and we're finding people, you know, picking up these skills and running with them, uh, really quickly. It's, it's really fun and exciting to watch. So you'd say, just keep on learning basically. Well, Don't yeah, that's, that's got it to my point earlier. That's, I think that's a good leading indicator of future success. And, you know, again, there's great, I'm sure that, that there's great resources in lots of places, but. I know the folks that you know, learning at Cisco and and the DevNet folks have really been focused on this area. So we're we're running out of time, but uh, one more question for you, uh, and this doesn't have to be necessarily Cisco centric. It could be just in general. But what are you excited about? Like what what is the thing that you're geeking out on, either at work or when you get home from work, uh, maybe on the weekends? What are you reading about? What are you what are you excited about? Well. I'm getting ready to go on vacation with my family. So if I'm completely transparent, I'm actually pretty excited about that. Um, and uh, my kids are at a great age to travel, so we're gonna uh, take them uh, to Europe. But um, you know, what I get excited about is, like I said earlier, learning new technologies and thinking about, you know, Cisco is different. I mean, at, at a startup, but I, mean, I, have a, I have a number of friends who've left Cisco for, for startups. and. I think two thirds of th the company. We don't always move three quarters as fast, but when we move, we have the opportunity to affect so many people and so many companies in, in such a positive way. And so, you know, I look at some of the things we're doing, and and even seemingly minor things. You think about the impact of that multiplied across an, econ an economy. 
and it's really exciting to think about you know where we where we'll be and and you reflect on where we've come from and and what's happened uh even just in the last few years it's 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 i find it very exciting so uh are are you a tesla guy yet no not a tesla guy nope i'm, I'm eyeballing those batteries and roof tiles waiting for them to come to texas because we can plenty of stuff. No, I, I'm, I'm hoping by the time it's time for me to replace my roof that that'll be ready to go Super neat stuff and great opportunities, I think, especially for you know people that are going to be doing remote monitoring and the Internet of Things and just all the neat things that are coming our way. Uh, well, Kip, it's been a pleasure speaking to you today. I know you are incredibly busy, so thank you for taking the time. Uh, you blog, you are on Twitter at Kip Compton, and you're going to be at a few events coming up, right? What events are you going to be? Attending Red Hat yeah, Summit. Red Hat's coming up. I think um, OpenStack Summit. I think there's a few things. Of course, you know Cisco Live um, coming up in in June as well. And you are much more uh, much more I think approachable than than most people would guess. I, I find you to be a pretty awesome one on one. So it's great to talk to you. And if you ever see Kip out and about, uh, definitely say hi. He's a he's a really cool dude who loves to geek out on just about anything. So. Uh, that's all for today. Thanks again. As a reminder, we said it earlier, but uh, while uh, Kip was dealing with emergency, but we've got Dave Lively this month. We've got Heidi Joe Trethaway from OpenStack uh, Foundation. We've got Ruth Cohen, an original Cloudorati member, someone who's been around for a long time uh, as far as cloud goes. And then my old co-host from the OpenStack podcast, Jeff Dickey, will be joining us from Redapt at the end of the month. So everybody, and I say everybody, meaning you and I, Kip, say goodbye. All right, bye-bye. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.